Eight people abducted from or near Star Labs. Here's the potential perp. Parademons. Okay. The demons must have got the scent of a mother box. They carried people away to find out what they know. So the eight may still be alive. Nine. Oh. The head of Star Labs was taken as well. You made it. So then, there must be a nest nearby. I plotted all the sightings of Metropolis, Gotham. No pattern, I can see. The lines on the map don't converge. On land. These lead back to Braxton Island, between the two cities. Gotham Harbor. These are air vents. They all lead down to the tunnel to Metropolis project that was abandoned in 29. Do you really think that... Oh, wow, they just... They really just vanish. Huh? Oh. That's rude. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver lining. <clears throat> and uh, continuing our completely not controversial journey through the <clears throat> Snyderverse, we are taking a look at the Justice League. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. So a movie that is credited as being directed by Zack Snyder, which allows us to do it uh, for uh, our Zack Snyder Films Month. However, we'll talk a lot more about that. But um, yeah, we'll get we'll get into that whole thing. Uh, but yeah, so this is a movie that that really is the catalyst for why we're all here. <laughs> you know, uh, in that so 2017, this movie came out. It was not well liked no. by really anyone. I, I don't, I've never heard a, someone might be out there, but I've never heard someone passionately defend this cut of this movie. Yeah. I've heard people say like, I had fun. Yeah. But uh, like, so this came out and then, you know what? Let's, okay. We're going to get into this. So the, obviously what happened is, uh, there was a campaign to release the Snyder Cut, uh, which is finally being released. But let's let's to tee this up. I thought this might be helpful because I, to be honest, I wanted to make sure I had this this all straight in my head before we talked about this. And and obviously, it's been a fun source in the past of of sometimes the behind the scenes ends up being, um, you know, more interesting than the on screen product, which I think would be the case with this movie. So. Zack Snyder was, you know, he has done the previous two, you know, the previous films that we've talked about. He did Man of Steel. He did Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, he apparently had a plan for like a five film arc of movies that he envisioned uh, taking place in the DC Extended Universe. And then obviously there would be other movies directed by other people, but he planned to do five of them. This was the third one. 
but Batman versus Superman came out and it was not as well received, nor did it earn as much money as Warner Brothers had hoped. So they started getting cold feet about this movie. But they were already making this movie because of uh, just, you know, the realities of the filmmaking industry. They had already, you know, we were already in the process of making Justice League. So Zack Snyder wrote a script. He had an original script for this movie. Before they even started shooting, they wanted rewrites. They took some stuff out. Um, There were some specific things like apparently at one point there was a planned... Uh, love story between Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane in like the original draft of the script, uh, which would have played into like Bruce being conflicted about, uh, you know, and then ultimately deciding to to bring Superman back. But there was all this stuff. Um, so he wrote a script. They started second guessing the script. So before they even started filming, they cut that that and other things. And then they had a shooting script. And then as they were filming it, they got even less confident in the movie so then there was a point where Zack Snyder was filming this movie and there was actually either the DC Entertainment Creative Chief Jeff Johns or the WB co-production head John Berg one of the two of them and they took turns was tasked with being on set as essentially a babysitter (laughs) to watch him film and to suggest changes as it was being made. And that sounds like a healthy environment. Sounds great. It's it's definitely how you want to make a movie. <laughs> so so they were sort of there to oversee things as they were happening. At some point, Jeff Johns also started talking to Joss Whedon, who had at the time been hired to make a Batgirl movie. But increasingly, like at first he was brought in to maybe like punch up the script and then he was rewriting scenes. And eventually, um, there was both a horrible personal tragedy for Zack Snyder and his family and that his uh, 20-year-old daughter committed suicide. Um, And also, around that same time, uh, the the Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon faction of making this movie was like getting more involved and Joss Whedon was now filming and directing stuff. Uh, and I actually just read a whole Vanity Fair profile of uh, uh, Zack Snyder that kind of delves into this more, where basically he just says that at that point, you know, family tragedy combined with just bad work environment decided the best thing for him was to just walk away, which at the time was sold as that he handpicked <laughs> Joss Whedon <laughs> to take over for him. Uh, which was very much not what happened. And uh, so then Joss Whedon uh, took over the movie. He, by estimates, uh, rewrote about three quarters of the script, reshot that much of the movie, at least. Uh, and what we got was obviously much more Joss Whedon's version than Zack Snyder's, uh, but but again, as we said at the top, uh, Snyder is credited as the director. Whedon is only credited as a co-screenwriter, and um, apparently Zack Snyder left uh, when he left the movie. He did have a laptop with an assembly cut that was about three hours long with no special effects, uh, no 
you know, no music, just literally just like an assembly cut, which is just all the footage that he shot laid out in some sort of sequential order. That is then you always hear about that. They they always talk about this with movies of like, you know, such and such movie just finished and the the cut is like six hours long. They're always really long and bad. And then they're at some point edited down into a coherent movie. So that's as far as his version ever got. They never finished the VFX. It never had music added. Um, and But he did shoot, I think, everything that he had wanted to shoot. Well, yeah, I think a lot of stuff was like previs and... Yeah. Yeah. But I guess he was able to... Yeah. So he finished it, but then whatever he finished, by the time he finished it, the studio was already not feeling it. Yeah, they're already on the Whedon train. So... I, I maybe we I don't know if I, I that was me monologuing a lot just to make sure we covered it all. But I don't know if you have more thoughts on that. I have a feeling we might get more into the Snyder side of things uh, next week. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, yeah, there's I mean, I don't know. That's just all seems to be raw fact. Yes. And I will say. Uh, given what I've seen of Zack Snyder movies a studio being wary of the product that's being churned out kind of tracks. Yeah. But I think so. I I've been thinking about this a lot because it, it comes down to, I, I don't know. I would say this, uh, in defense of Zack Snyder and, uh, his fans, which is, I think he hired exactly what you would have like watching the movies, you know, the previous two, uh, and what I imagine this one was, I I think he did what he was hired to do. He made Zack Snyder movies for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh yeah, so, there's no doubt in my mind. It doesn't mean that they're good. Yeah, but it's sort of like I mean, if you hired David Lynch to direct a rom com, and then he turned in a movie, <laughs> you know, where... I'm pretty sure that's how um, Mulholland Drive got made. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So if Mulholland Drive had started as a studio wanting like a big tentpole Valentine's Day rom-com starring Naomi Watts. And that's what he turned in. But I got to be honest. A young country girl trying to make it in the <laughs> cutthroat world of L.A. as an up and coming ingenue actress. Yeah. Yeah. If you give that to David Lynch, it's yeah. going to be very different than if you give it to Mike Nichols. Yeah. Because I... I think Zack Snyder is Zack Snydered the hell out of every one of these movies. Oh, he's Zack Snydered them to the nth degree. So I like I think that's where I land with it of like, what did you think he was going to turn in? Did you think he was going to make a Marvel movie? Because that's not what he does. Like, no. He I mean, you have to, the thing about Snyder like is the first superhero movie he made was Watchmen. And he made that when he the sky was the limit for him when he was like the hot like a-list director coming off of 300 and he could have pretty much done whatever he wanted what he wanted to do was make Watchmen, and i think that that should have been a red flag to you if you're making because Watchmen has always been a cynical uh hermit wizard man who comes up on the show once again <laughs> Uh, his take on why superheroes are bad. Yeah. And so if that's what interests you about superheroes, like Dr. Manhattan is cynical, bad Superman. <laughs> so right. if that's the version you're interested in, and I'm even not, more overpowered. 
Yes. But so I'm not surprised that when he got put in charge of Superman, that he made one that snaps people's necks and, you know, is a menace who doesn't seem to care much about humanity. That's what interested him about comic books. Yeah. So that's um, so that's where I'm at with it is like if if you hired him making him think he was going to get to make five movies. The question is, why did you do that? Not like, you know, why did you think that Zack Snyder was the right person to launch a cinematic universe? And you can see it so much in that everything that came afterwards, everyone struggles to make a movie that makes sense with the Zack Snyder verse, but also is their own thing. You can kind of see that with Wonder Woman a bit. You can see that with Birds of Prey. Aquaman just ignored the assignment and just yeah, did like yeah, a different thing. James Wan just did his whatever movie he wanted. He just made his crazy neon fever dream underwater action movie. Yeah. And um, Suicide Squad made a Limp Biscuit video. So that was what they went with. <laughs> <laughs> Never a more apt analogy has been set on this show. It um, wasn't an analogy. I literally think that's what they made. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Fred Durst's fingerprints were all over that. Yeah. So Suicide Squad sucks. Yeah, I man, the day that we end up doing that on this show, I don't know how we find a silver lining. <laughs> Margot Robbie, I mean, we did it. Yeah, it's Margot Robbie. It's, yeah. That's it. We did it. So we don't have to do that episode. Sweet. All right. Uh, but yeah, so I, I always thought like that's to me where I land with it is like it always felt like an odd choice. Uh, and, and it's funny because... Well, I think it's not even so much an odd choice as it's an odd choice to start and then get gun shy with because Zack Snyder is so particular in how he does things that like, yeah, he made Zack Snyder, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice are Snyder movies. Yeah. And, And so even bringing Joss Whedon in. The foundation was those characters. You were already, we had seen the big three. Like we're already, it's Zack Snyder's Superman, Zack Snyder's Batman, and Zack Snyder's Wonder Woman at that point, you know? So, because I, right, I'm correct in the timeline, right? That this movie came out before Wonder Woman, right? So. Justice League didn't. Oh, okay. Well, so we had had, so Wonder Woman got slightly adjusted. (laughs) We got... Uh, you know, but the other two for Batman and Superman for sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Geez, now I'm second guessing it. I, I know think Wonder Woman was already out before Justice League came out. Yeah, I'm now muddied on the timeline. But so maybe we had seen Gal Gadot in Patty Jenkins' version of Wonder Woman. But the other two, like we had two two Snyder Supermans and one Snyder Batman movie, and that's who the characters were. You right. Know? And and I still I stand by Snyder's Batman. I his don't Batman's stand by good. Snyder's Superman, but man, I stand by his Batman. No, like I said, I think his his Superman is do- more Dr. Manhattan and way too cynical and dark. Uh, and yeah, but I, I think that that's the problem is that's the starting point. Well, and that's that's, I think, like the big malignance of this whole series, this whole Snyder verse, if you want to call it that, is that he had a clear vision. So kudos for that. Um, but everything is so rushed and unearned. Yeah. Well, like, and it's, it's a, a bizarre decision. To, so you do the last, I mean, we talked about this in the previous movie, but like the last movie was 
Batman versus Superman. You had to introduce Batman. Uh, you had to also try to set up this Frank Miller-esque confrontation between the two. But then also at the end of the movie, they do the death of Superman, which is a whole right. different storyline. Like, And you have to set that up while also introducing Lex Luthor, who has not existed up until this point. But then you need him to create Doomsday for the final battle. Like, There's just too much happening. And it all happens so fast and so, you know, like none of it gets to have the weight that it should. Yeah, there's minimum three movies worth of content that's just cliff notes through. Yeah. And then you shoehorn Wonder Woman in and. And tease all of the other Justice League members. Right. Which, as I said, way more efficient than making 23 different movies to get to a satisfactory conclusion the way Marvel did. Uh, Just a couple of YouTube videos in one of the movies. Just Mm -hmm. bing, bang, boom. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, Wonder when we got an old-timey photo done down at the boardwalk. So you needed. (laughs) So, I don't know. I think we should talk about the movie in and of itself a little bit rather than all of the surrounding. Because I feel like when we talk about uh, any other possible cuts of the Justice League that may or may not be getting released on March 18th. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to, ha- I think it's going to come up again in that week. So I think let's, let's talk about this movie as a distinct and discrete entity in and of itself. Yes. But I, hopefully that was like, I felt that was necessary. Oh, it's absolutely least. necessary. Yeah, because I don't think you can view it devoid of that context, but with all of that context, uh, with all of that stipulated counselor, if we could <laughs> uh, now present the case in front of us, which is so this movie that we got that is uh, co-written by Joss Whedon and allegedly uh, written by Zack Snyder, which if I didn't say this before, I don't know if I specifically said this. Apparently, Zack Snyder has never watched this movie. Uh, I, I found out. So <laughs> I find that unsurprising. Yes. Apparently, his wife watched it and told him not to watch it. So... God, it would be so funny if the Snyder Cut is just the same movie. <laughs> it's like, it's totally oh. different. What? <laughs> Crap, get Jared Leto. Yeah, it was just that one scene. That one scene <laughs> is all that's different. Um, I, I actually, we can't just talk about the movie in and of itself. Um, I feel like we have to disclaim that Joss Whedon is a garbage human being. Yes. He um, comes from this antiquated ridiculous and unbelievably wrong school of thought that pain is necessary to produce good art and he abuses and harasses his uh crew and his actors and it's he sucks as a person yeah and that's been uh something that was brought up at the time uh that has been more recently you know sort of rediscussed as we like you know as the build up for the the Snyder cut comes out but uh yeah it was specifically like Ray Fisher who plays Cyborg has been very vocal and very like you know just has tried to talk about uh the fact that he had a very bad experience with Joss Whedon Joss Whedon was very abusive towards him uh, I know too that that he uh, has said that Jeff Johns like enabled a lot of it. That like you know that he uh, tried to voice complaints about what was happening and they weren't really listened to. Uh, he has nothing but glowing things to say about Zack Snyder, <laughs> by the way. But like, yeah, Joss Whedon was specifically abusive towards him. Uh, there was some stuff where apparently like he 
did, you know, he was not great towards Gal Gadot on this movie either. Uh, and certainly people have come forward. Charisma Carpenter from Buffy, uh, who has also talked about, <laughs> like, has said this stuff before. But again, like, for some reason this time around, uh, it's gotten traction. So it, it's being talked about more now. But she had a very bad experience uh, with Joss Whedon on Buffy. And there are other people as well who have... Uh, come out i think michelle trachtenberg was also has come out like yeah dude has a pretty long history of being terrible to people in the you know like while making movies uh which is shitty and should definitely be called out and uh you know no one should have to endure that so yes let's i'm glad that you mentioned that i definitely think that that's an important context to have uh when maligning this movie for sure yeah, so this movie, um, everything about it sucks. <laughs> like it's, it's like there there are small things to like, which we'll get to, I'm sure, when we get to the silver lining. But like it's it, the pace is all over the place. Well, it uh, you know it you can see the fingerprints of. And again, like I said, from from what I've read, like apparently three quarters of the script is rewritten by uh, Whedon, but certainly the foundation is Zack Snyder. But it has that tone of like it it's it has the framework of a Zack Snyder movie with the zany comedic one liners of a Joss Whedon. All the quips. Yeah. So it seems like what he was most able to do in his rewrites was write funny dialogue for everybody to say, uh, which, you know... We, of course, can't forget Joss Whedon's most famous bit of punch-up funny dialogue. Do you know what happens when a toad gets struck by lightning? (laughs) The same thing that happens to everything else. Yeah, I... I just, too... I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked on too many other (laughs) projects that Joss Whedon has worked on, but it has kind of struck me as sort of important as he was to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and as uh, pivotal as his first Avengers movie was. And I definitely think that it was. I think that phase one of the MCU was building towards that movie. If that movie didn't uh, make every, you know, if it wasn't crowd pleasing and make, if it didn't deliver, if it didn't deliver, we, we wouldn't have gotten 23 movies. So I think that you can't erase his contribution, but I will say, and I say this as someone who has been on my own free time rewatching, uh, the MCU movies as I do occasionally, that movie has not aged super well either. Like it's, I think the, the MCU kind of move past. It's very quippy and very snappy. And uh, I, I think they've, they've gone on to do more interesting stuff as well in the MCU. And I think the Russos in particular have made uh, films that I think hold up better. Yeah. I'd be inclined to agree with that. Um, so the like elevator pitch plot of this movie is, Sorry, it just hit me that it's 23 minutes in and we're getting to the plot. This is going to be a good episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the wealthy industrialist who moonlights as a superhero thinks that we need a super a suit of armor around the world to prevent um, a giant metallic uh, monster from assembling some other machine that's going to destroy everything. So nothing like any movies in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> right. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> so it's certainly nothing band- that Whedon's worked on. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, not not even. Uh, yeah, I mean, what is this? The age of Whedon we're talking about here? I mean, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so they get a bunch of superheroes together and fight this like C tier villain. It's like Stefan Steppenwolf, are you haven't kidding me with this nonsense <laughs> for the Justice League movie Steppen. Just ugh, stupid. Can we, can we can I have one more? I know that I'm this episode's gonna be six hours long because I keep going on tangents, but can I share one thing that I have found consistently hilarious about the struggles of the DC cinematic universe, which is uh, I don't know if people know this, like how deep people are into comics, but I, you know, I actually really love DC comics. Like I grew up reading them. I'm a big fan, uh, particularly of Batman, but I've read a lot of DC stuff. It is forever hilarious to me that things that DC created in the comics have gone on to that were then stolen by Marvel and have Marvel copies of Marvel, like doppelgangers of that because Marvel is so much better at making movies that what this generation of people consuming the movies are watching are the Marvel ripoffs, but that's because their movies are better and because they've gotten them to the screen faster. Because if people don't know, Thanos, who is used to great effect in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, is 100% a blatant ripoff of Darkseid. Oh, so obviously a ripoff of Darkseid. Yeah, and so the problem is this this movie should have Darkseid as the villain, but they I think the reason that it's Steppenwolf is because, and apparently the Snyder Cut is going to have Darkseid in it, but I think the thinking probably was <laughs> that because they had already teased Thanos in the MCU that they didn't want people to think that they were doing a copy of Thanos, which is really funny to me. And then also the uh, post credit teaser in this movie features Deadshot, uh, who is Slade Wilson, who might not be familiar to people, but maybe you're going, that sounds a lot like Wade Wilson and Deadpool, which is a blatant ripoff of like a parody of well, he's Deadshot. Deathstroke. Deathstroke. Sorry, I said Deadshot. Deadshot's yeah. a different DC villain. Yes. Sorry. Deathstroke. Played by Will Smith in Suicide Squad. Yes. That's why I'm doing that. Thank you. But yeah, so Deathstroke, who is Slade Wilson. <laughs> yeah. And Deadpool, Wade Wilson, Deadpool is a parody of Deathstroke. Yes. But is much more familiar to... And totally evolved into his own completely different thing. But that was the pitch. But that was the pitch. Yeah, no, 100%. He was, you know, this guy with a distinct mask that uses blades and has has a a morbid word in his name. Yes. So uh, just, yeah. So thank you. Well, and I mean, the, the Avengers are a Justice League knockoff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on a, they're the Justice League. They did the big team up first. The Avengers did it second. And let's always never forget the. You know, I mean, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are all top five recognizable famous characters pre the MCU. Maybe things are different now, but like before all these movies got made, if you just did a lineup of just characters and asked people which ones they could name. They're three of the most famous comic book characters and three of the oldest comic book characters in existence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like those three Spider-Man and Hulk are probably your top five. Yeah. And so it, it that just always tickles me that 
there's stuff like that whenever dark side does show up which again apparently he's in the the snyder uh cut which we haven't seen yet but like inevitably people will think that he's a ripoff of thanos will always be kind of funny to me right when it's completely the other way around but anyway all of that to say i think that's why steppenwolf is because i I mean i think so too but at the same time like there's no shortage of great villains. They could have done Vandal Savage. They could have done the Legion of Doom. They could have done Brainiac. They could have done... I think Brainiac would have been an interesting pitch because I'm guessing that the reason they went Steppenwolf was because I think they wanted to get the new gods in there because they wanted to get a cosmic force that would feel like a big enough threat. Which again, I mean, you know, the the MCU launched around Loki, you know, which seems like a, not as the same tier kind of villain, but like, I think they wanted something big, uh, you know, that was otherworldly that was threatening because I guess, you know, the implication is that Batman has been doing this for 20 plus years. So you need something so big that he feels out of his depths. And I think that was what they're hoping. And also like the parademons are cool. Like I think. Oh yeah. Parademons are cool. So I think getting them in there is a really uh, neat idea. It's just, yeah. Steppenwolf like just, and let's just say it like, he's not a great villain. He doesn't look good. Like the CGI is not good. I, Man, I don't have the actor's name in front of me. I do love the actor who it's voices Kieran him. Kieran Hines. Thank you. Kieran, Kieran Hines is a great actor. Yeah, I, I'm unequivocally a fan of him. I think the voice is good, but... Yeah, Mance Raider from Game of Thrones or yes. Aberforth Dumbledore from uh, the Harry Potter movies if you need to place him. Yeah, or the other guy from There Will Be Blood, which is like the first thing I remember watching. Right. Him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not Daniel Day-Lewis. But uh, God, God, I love that movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> uh, and he, I really love him as an actor, too, even though I forgot his name. But uh, yeah, so I think his voice is good, but he looks very like video game cutscene villain. Like he's very stiff. The lips don't move super well. Uh, so none of that's good. Also, man, let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> it sounds really silly to hear people like. I will just share. I saw this movie in the theater with uh, my wife, Molly, who laughed hysterically every time any character very seriously talked about a mother box. Like that. It's just, it sounds silly. If if that's not a cutting room floor joke from an episode of Arrested Development. Yeah. No, mother box is definitely something that Lucille Bluth like, took Buster, you know, to, to retrieve, you know? Yeah. It's like, I had to spend all day in my mother box. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he's punished when he gets too excited for sure. And then somehow, you know, in later years, George Michael has to stay in the mother box. Right. When yeah. He has too much juice. He has to go in the mother box. But yeah, I mean, it's, and also outside of just how silly it sounds, it's, it's an entire movie where three unremarkable metallic cubes are what, everyone is at that's the MacGuffin that we're world trekking to try to when you really what you really want to make an excellent movie is a like a six by six inch cube that like glows blue like Mm -hmm. that's good writing hey man blue is more cinematic than metallic i'll just say it (sighs) it's true that's why uh rise of the silver surfer didn't make it as a movie yeah um i'll also just say if you really want to make a good movie hollywood Instead of cubes, how about three triangles? You put those together, and then like the some force of those of three, those three triangles. triangles. Yeah, like if you, I'd like to try that force on screen. 
Uh, it'd be legendary. It would be a legend, I think. Yeah, I think there's something about it that feels ancient, you know, like it's a link to the past. Yeah. Um, I just I'm just imagining like a hero shot, like with his skyward sword that like, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's as the saying goes, a real ocarina of time. I mean, it'd be <laughs> not just a breath of fresh air, but a, a, a breath of the wild. Oh, man. Yeah. So there we go. So, so um, holler at us. Why have, seriously? Why has there never been a Legend of Zelda movie that they make video game movies all the time and they have the best storylines? But yeah, I I'm taking it as a blessing. But that's video game month has to be coming for us at some point. I oh, feel like that's yeah, uh, that's that's definitely you know coming down the pipe. But anyways, um, yeah, the movie. They're collecting a bunch of mother boxes, so it's a bunch of fetch quests. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the so uh, I, it's stupid that they did the death of Superman because the resurrection story just grinds this movie to a halt, and then like the fight and everything is dumb. I like that Batman realizes that we need to bring Superman back. Like that makes sense as an inciting event. Like this is who we need to succeed this. But the, the dumbest thing in the whole movie. So they put all this work in, like they just miss like getting the mother box from Themyscira and then off screen, the one from Atlantis gets stolen and man, does this movie not jive with the Aquaman plot, but that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, so when well, they also, use- since you mentioned Themyscira too, like it hit me watching it this time that Wonder Woman 84's timeline no longer, mi- like everything that's said about Wonder Woman being in hiding since World War One is negated by that movie too. Right. So that's another problem. But anyway. And third appearance on the pod of one Connie Nielsen. Oh, yeah. She's a three timer joining the rarefied air of Natalie Portman and uh, Justin Bartha. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so the dumbest thing in the whole, so these mother boxes are so incredibly important. They use the one to resurrect Superman. He comes back and he's mad about getting resurrected until he sees Lois. But then they just like forget they left the mother box in the pool and Steppenwolf just takes it. Yep. It's so dumb. Yep. Um, and uh, let's see. Cyborg looks ridiculous. Yeah, he doesn't look good. Like terrible. I'll just say straight up, if this helps anyone, if you have HBO Max and maybe you're anticipating, uh, you know, watching <laughs> the Snyder Cut, uh, just watch Doom Patrol. It it has Cyborg in it. He looks better. The character's written better. Uh, Joss Whedon wasn't abusive towards the actor who played him. So, you know. That we know of. That, yeah. <laughs> well, he could have been just like sending texts to the the uh, Doom Patrol Cyborg. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the uh, Doom Patrol, which is a show I really liked too, uh, just in general. Uh, but uh, the Cyborg in that is much better handled all around and looks better. Yeah, this one is very just... Um, like just all CGI jagged metal edges. Yeah, and, and like and it's like all the CGI looks like Wolverine's claws in X-Men Origin Wolverine. Yes, which is what you you definitely if you're gonna evoke Wolverine, you want to evoke that Wolverine. Yes, the best one. Mm-hmm. Uh with the most accurate 
and the best looking claws that didn't like look like someone went with a gray paintbrush and just did three lines on the screen. Also, that um, was that was the the first cinematic appearance of Deadpool, wasn't it? That was, yes, it was. And they go. nailed it. Yeah. Um Yeah, and then there's like crazy CGI fights where you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh superheroes quipping to one another. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean what else more needs to be said? I mean, I would maybe like a special moment just to spotlight how much I dislike this version of the Flash. Yeah, I God, I want to like Ezra Miller, but oh, it's I don't blame him. It's just every bit of dialogue that he has is super grating, and he's I don't know. He's just presented in this very like I it it doesn't make any sense. His arc makes no sense. Like he's afraid to help people he's he's very antisocial. he talks about not having any friends uh you know like just all of it is just this built in of like he's such a sad loser <laughs> and his dad's yeah. in prison and like i mean every movie version there are always tweaks to the comic book version just for narrative reasons casting reasons whatever but man this flash is nothing like the comic book version and there's a really great like tv version of the flash so i'm told even though i've never watched the show but i've heard it's, it's quite good and he the the flash character is quite good mm-hmm. yeah uh but yeah i don't yeah ezra miller just like i really liked him in the perks of being a wallflower and like i th- i think there's something great there but then he keeps getting cast in things and like playing them terribly a la The Flash. Uh, also, the recent Stand miniseries, which I wish we could do a whole uh, month on. Because yeah. that's all I'm going to say. Um, but but yeah, I just didn't enjoy sad nerd uh, Flash, which is, yeah, very different from any version of The Flash that I'm familiar with or like. Yeah. Um, also, you guys win. Also, can I, I also want to take a moment to malign the, uh, less good version of a line that plays much better with Tony Stark, which is when the flash asks Bruce Wayne what his power is. And he's, he just goes, I'm rich. Yep. Yeah. Also, you know, what bothers me if I can just have one more second, just to malign a very specific thing, Bruce Wayne paranoid you know crime fighter who's been doing this for 20 years who uh you know i i thought that the the last movie like you know batman versus superman really nailed just like like which is a you know there's been different versions of batman in the comics but certainly it's a very uh well-established thing in in certain versions of of stories that he doesn't really quite trust the rest of the justice league like you know there's a great story where he has files on how to take down every member of the Justice League, which is then stolen by the villains, and they use that because they bas- it basically they learn everyone else's weaknesses because Batman's files slip to them because Batman's figured them out and yeah yeah because like, but that's always like more modern versions tend to have that idea that like he works with these people but he has a contingency plan in case it goes bad to basically take every single one of them out if he has to all of that to say felt really weird and dumb to me that he shows up as Bruce Wayne to recruit everyone in public 
in front of large swaths of people. And in fact, with Aquaman, which is the stupidest one, he just straight up is at like a town hall meeting, just being like, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne, and I'm looking for Aquaman to join the team, the Justice League that I'm recruiting. Also, I seem unaware that it's clearly Jason Momoa. Like, look in the room, Bruce. I thought you were the world's greatest detective. You (laughs) you can't piece together that it's obviously Jason Momoa. Yeah, I mean, because if you want to talk about comic accurate depiction of a superhero... (laughs) someone else no um (laughs) yeah it's the way that like batman is the uniting force of the justice league is very antithetical to the comics but i feel like true to the snyder verse yeah but i'm just saying the fact that he literally shows up as bruce wayne so dumb like if he showed up as batman to these places i'd be okay with it it's just he shows up as bruce wayne starts asking questions as like Every version of Batman always has a really careful, like, I have to create uh, an alibi for Bruce Wayne. I need to I need to be matches Malone. I need to be like a undercover character. I can't ever have anyone know that Bruce Wayne is poking around. The fact that he just is wearing his suits and just being like, I'm Bruce Wayne. I took my jet here to to find Aquaman or like. I, Bruce Wayne, broke into your apartment and I'm going to throw a batarang at your face to prove that you're the flash. Like I just, why, why, why can't he be Batman in those scenes? Because they don't understand the source material. Yeah. Like why bother to, to, uh, you know, modulate your voice at that point. Why not just be like, hi everybody. I'm Bruce Wayne. In the full Batman mask. Yeah. Or if you went, uh, full Chucky from, uh, Goodwill hunting. Yeah. Just, full-on Boston accent, just regular old Boston Ben. <laughs> Mine as well. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, the best part of his day is when he thinks that Superman might not show up. The best part of my day is when <laughs> I get out of the Batmobile, I walk up to the Daily Planet. Carry my donkeys. And my <laughs> I got a donkeys, I got a couple of crullers, and you know, I just I, I, I knock on the door of the Daily Planet, and I just hope, hope that Clock Kent is not going to answer the door. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, Boston Batman coming to you. We will write that movie for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the Dark we... Knight. There it is. There it is. Where's the Batmobile? I parked it near Harvard Yard. <laughs> <laughs> now give the guard a quarter for some chowder. <laughs> I'm not a cop. <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch. I, I would watch that too in a heartbeat. Also, um, by the way, just one more thing because we do need to pivot. But uh, so Clark Kent is just back to being Clark Kent at the end of this movie. How did we explain that? Does anyone want to bother? Like, because he is super dead at the like. It super is super dead. This is announced that Clark Kent died, and I realized they this had happened very to- public funerals. <laughs> yeah. What's well, like, I realize they did that in the comics, but what is the cinematic explanation for how Clark Kent is also back alive at the end of this movie? He was just missing with amnesia. I think that was what they did in the comics. I think it turned out that it was like he like fell down a, a thing or something and he's been knocked out for a while, but he's better now. 
He's all good. Yeah. Um, Can't pull the uh, strings on that Clark Kent secret no, just, identity. It does not yeah. does not hold any weight. The house no. of cards that is Clark Kent. <laughs> His secret identity. Um, let's let's pivot to the silver linings of this movie. Um, I mean, I think we already hit on just everything swirling around this and the Snyder Cut is f- fascinating drama. Oh yeah, it's if you love drama, <laughs> you know. I mean, th- that's a silver lining. If you're a Snyder fan and. Uh, you want them to release the Snyder Cut. Hey, good news. Everyone hated this so much. And, you know, Warner didn't have any better ideas. So that's happening. So, like, I mean, that's pretty wild that, like, you know, there are plenty of stories about uh, directors being fired from their big franchise movies. There, there aren't really that many, if any, about those directors being brought back to, like, no, there really aren't. Um, also, Zack Snyder seems like a really good dude. I learned yeah. that by comparison. Still don't like his movies, but he does seem like a really good dude. He seems very beloved by his cast and crew. and uh, seems, seems like, like a, he yeah. wants to do right by the work that he's trying to put out. And I, I mean, I, I meant it at the top. I, I mean it sincerely. Like, I, I might not be the biggest fan of his movies, but I... I think that he, you know what you're going to get. And I, I weirdly put this more on, uh, you know, <laughs> more on Warner Brothers than him in terms of like the fact that we ended up with this version of this movie and that like he got yeah. fired for making exactly what I would have expected him to make. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Like, they, it's just weird that they got cold feet on this film for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I think this is half of a silver lining, but half of also a maligning of this movie. I could watch J.K. Simmons play Commissioner Gordon all day and twice on Sunday. I mean. Yeah, but it's also such a waste. Like, I think. Such a waste. That's that's why it's the, the double-sided thing. Yeah, like. For JK, one scene. J.K. Simmons is great, and he's a great choice to play Commissioner Gordon. Uh, it seems unlikely that we'll see him again, just based on. I don't even know what's happening in the DC cinematic universe. Apparently we're getting a flashpoint movie. You know, we we're going to see Affleck's Batman again, but with Keaton's Batman. So uh, who even knows? We're getting another unaffiliated Robert Pattinson Batman where he sparkles in the daylight and molests teenage girls. I'll just say, by the way, brought to you by Joss Whedon's good friend, Matt Reeves. I do. I will just point out uh, that, because this seems like the time. I don't know when else it'll come up. Why didn't we get a Ben Affleck directed Batman movie? That seems like a thing that definitely should have happened and wouldn't have been any worse than anything. I like Ben Affleck's directorial. Yeah, I've liked all of his movies. So there is no reason that you shouldn't have let him do that. I I don't understand why that one didn't happen. But yeah, in which J.K. Simmons could have been in. Yep, and it could have been great, and it could have been a really good movie. Also, and I, I've oh. already come out in defense of Ben Affleck being my favorite cinematic Batman. So yeah, I still think that's way too bold, but I do like him as Batman. I'll also say Jeremy Irons is a great Alfred, and he's great in this again. So, yep. uh, so that was nice. Um, I look, I'll admit it. I will say in a vacuum, I kind of like the scene where 
Superman beats everybody up. Yeah. It's it's pretty well done. And like I really like when he looks at Barry Allen, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a great little moment. It's cool, you know, and I, I think they do a pretty good job with that effect of, you know, again, things that Marvel beat them to the punch on. Obviously, once Quicksilver got the absolutely amazing uh, slow motion scenes and another horrible man's <laughs> films. It's a lot of terrible directors being talked about uh, in these movies. But like the Quicksilver stuff is, is really cool visually. And uh, so it was tough to not just copy that for for Barry Allen and I actually think they found a cool way to slow things down that didn't just look like they were copying that right um yeah and that that was a cool moment um the delivery was terrible but I liked when Superman was choking Batman is like do you bleed yeah like it was a good line but the delivery of it was poor you know, like it was a good, it was a good closing of the loop, but you know, it, the, I can't believe that we're we're getting very close to an hour, and we haven't mentioned this yet. And I am going to mention it as a silver lining, not in the movie, but for me personally, because I find it really funny. I love that he had a mustache that they had to CGI out. It's so funny to me, and it <laughs> it looks very obvious that something is wrong with his upper lip. Yeah. Uh, I will also point out that the reason he had a mustache was to make Mission Impossible Fallout, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, which if you've listened to every episode of the show, you know I love Christopher McQuarrie, and I like those movies, and I think it was worth it, and he should have a mustache. And also, watch that movie, because he reloads his fist while punching dudes in a bathroom, and it's better than this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, Joel has found a way to mention Christopher McQuarrie every week of this show. And I, will, I will continue to... <laughs> Without fail. So, uh, Chris McQuarrie, if you're out there listening, and I know you are, uh, come do a guest spot on the show. We'll yeah, talk please. about something yeah. else. Yeah, please. We'll talk, about, we'll, we'll talk movies together. I'm sure there's a movie that is maligned that you love. Let's do it. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, the mu- the mustache, like, it's you can't not mention it. It's It's hilarious and bad. And also, um, I think that he made the right move not to shave it for that movie. I mean, he was contractually obligated to, but it, it he should have a mustache in that movie if you haven't seen it. So, Oh, yeah. But I'm going to counter that with it's way easier to prosthetically put a mustache on than digitally take a mustache off. You know, I was going to move on. But since you said it, that was I've actually read Christopher McQuarrie specifically be asked about that. And his logic is pretty sound. Which is it, when shooting in like 4K for IMAX, you can tell. And that was why. Like he was like, we weren't trying to be jerks, but like legitimately you would that have been sense. able to see in like super high res that because uh, they were using IMAX cameras on that movie. So I, you know what? It, it, plus, it's funny. It's, it's, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Henry Cavill does not take that long to grow a mustache. No, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they didn't care. they didn't need to make him shave and we're fine (laughs) like sticking warner brothers with the bag because also let's point out the fact that these were unplanned reshoots that you know they had to work like you guys could have filmed whatever you wanted in the time that he was you know 
solely yours. You right. waited to do these reshoots until he was making another movie. So you're lucky that he was super buff still. What if, you know, what if he was yeah, Christian Bale? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, though I've never seen Henry Cavill not look anything but chiseled out of granite. Oh, um, yes. No, but I'm just saying like, yeah. What if Christian Bale was getting ready to play Dick Cheney again? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, we got to make this work as Batman. <laughs> so... <laughs> Of course, knowing Christian Bale, he would have shedded. He would just cut the weight in six hours, and yes, yes, yeah, uh, shown up looking like the machinist, and then gotten swole for the next scene, and yeah, never forget that it was after he did the machinist that they were concerned that he wouldn't be able to bulk up enough to be Batman, and he in fact uh, overbulked. He overbulked and didn't fit in his costume. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, I, I do want to go on the record that I am Team McQuarrie in this whole ordeal. I'm just playing Connie Nielsen's devil's advocate. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's just something I want to get out there. I feel uh, like there's more people that have had to been in three movies at this point, and we're just not tracking it well enough. I'm sure that's true. So uh, get in the comments, everybody. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure there are others. Uh, I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But Connie Nielsen definitely hit her third episode. All the Star Wars people have been in three. Pretty much, yeah. And I mean, I well, mean like, because we're doing a Snyder month, like, you know, I mean, this we, is, we got a bunch of people on the cusp. You got. Well, Cavill. we got three for Affleck, or two for Affleck, three for Cavill. Yeah. Wait, is it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Cavill is, is in the three Cavill's timer. a three timer. Amy so Adams is, is a so three timer. So is Amy Adams. So is. Um, What's her name that plays Mar Martha? Oh, yeah. Diane Lane. This Diane is Lane's three timer. Three. We didn't talk about that scene with her and Amy Adams. It's real bad. But that, that's I we're past. We're not maligning this movie anymore. We're we're, we're through with it. Um, yeah. I mean. This movie's bad. It's not good. No, it's, it's not. And I, I, I just want to say that that like it does have a sense of fun a little bit. That's like so it's not like. It's not like morose the way, especially Man of Steel, but to a lesser extent, Batman vs. Superman is. So there's that it has going for it, even though I would say that I think I like this better than Man of Steel, but not as much as Batman vs. Superman, if I was ranking them. Yeah, I, I might be inclined to agree with that. I think it's definitely, it's a question of, like, I think Batman vs. Superman is unequivocally better, and then it's a question of... <laughs> Well, yeah, that I mean, that's that's the debate is those two movies. Yeah, I will say it's a small silver lining, but I mean it sincerely. Uh, the song by Leonard Cohen, everybody knows, absolutely slaps. The cover of that song in this movie absolutely slaps. And the the sequence that accompanies it is pretty good. Yeah. Just want to put that out there. I really like that song. <laughs> Hey, we, you know, we've silver lined good songs in movies before. Uh, I think it was the only one for cats. So, <laughs> Also, um, I this isn't a real silver lining, but I'm still going to say it. I thought it was funny when Lex Luthor said that we have to form a league of our own because it was supposed to land really big. And it just made me think that he was going to start a women's baseball league. Wait, that's not what? Yeah, he, he and Deathstroke are going to start coaching. <laughs> The the, women's yeah. They're going to invent time travel to go back to the 40s and coach a women's baseball team. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why not? Yeah. I think that's what Flashpoint is. 
if it's not God, I hope like Warner Brothers, I don't know how far you are along in pre-production of Flashpoint, but stop the presses. Let me tell you. And because we got an idea. What if yeah. Lex Luthor and Deathstroke go back in time to coach a women's baseball league because all the men are away fighting the war mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman's and, fighting the war and Wonder Woman's fight. Wonder Woman's hiding out now because it's not the yeah. 80s yet. So, yeah, yeah, she's back in hiding. <laughs> uh, and I also I would I would put Michelle Pfeiffer in there somewhere. Just putting that. Yeah, why there. not? Which also, man, if she doesn't show up in that Flashpoint movie that Michael Keaton's going to be in, that feels like a real missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we did it. Yeah, we did. We for sure did it. You know, I I think I think that's unequivocal. And we did it in under an hour, which I earlier on in this show didn't think was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, we plenty of time to spare. So, Joel, why don't you then, since you know you're the guiding force of this episode, why don't you hit us with our famous sign off? They've got no whiff of the mother box. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.